I found out years later that the banker and my dad were really good friends. And the banker told dad, this is a mistake. Everybody that does this, their kids don't pay it back. He goes, they end up stuck with it. And dad went, well, she'll be fine. And sure enough, I paid it off. Donna Mitchell is my guest on today's podcast. She is the founder and owner of Horizon Productions, which is a full-service creative video production, animation, print, audio, virtual reality, augmented reality studio in the Raleigh-Durham area. And she started it back in 1982. So she reflects on the last 40 years of entrepreneurship and the lessons that she's learned, the positive examples of her parents, and more. So enjoy this conversation with my friend and mentor, Donna Mitchell. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. Donna, thank you for joining me on the podcast, something you did want to do, which means it's going to be epic. (laughs) That's the plan, or I hope, (laughs) or prayer. (laughs) It always is. And I, I like to share a little bit about how the guest has provided for me. And you may not remember this, but this made an impact on me. We have a mutual friend, a mentor of mine, Cheryl Hunter, who will be next on my hit list of people that don't want to be on the podcast, but I'll gently encourage to come eventually. She connected us. And I think it was because she connected us once that she was mentoring me and I was going through a transition in my career. And then she said, oh, you should, you should um, talk with Donna. You know, Donna's been running a company for a while and I think that you guys will get along. And so I was new into leadership and thinking about making a change. And you graciously opened up your calendar. We went to Bean Traders, a local coffee shop near your office at the time in Durham. And I was telling you about a little bit of my career, maybe making a change, a passion about mentoring guys. That's probably been seven years ago or so. And so it stood out to me was just how you listened, shared your experience and encouraged me when I didn't know what I was doing in my life. So I'm so thankful for you to share some of your story now. Well, you're easy to listen to. So (laughs) I'm really glad that you went after your passions. So I think that some changes in your life helped move you to the nonprofit part and probably looking at careers and what you wanted to do, which was great. Thank you for that. And I'm excited to dive into your journey a little bit. You don't often do this, which is great. So you you are the, uh, the founder and president of Horizon Video Productions. That's been around since 82 because of you. And that doesn't just randomly happen. It takes intentionality and some, some decisions. And I'm sure there's been some challenges along the way. Before we get to that, you have a story that I haven't heard before. And, and you, you mentioned this about how your scariest job or moment was being an undercover shopper. Would you mind telling us about that story in your career? <laughs> Uh, So my dad always believed that you would have to have a job right in the summer. And so as soon as we were old enough, or especially as soon as I was old enough, I was out having to try to find a part, you know, part-time job for the summer. I had several jobs, but I think one of my first jobs was working at a bookstore, which was pretty cool. I loved it called Will's. The second job was, I think was Burger King. And I actually got to work making the milkshakes, which was, they tried me as a cashier. And I, it was during the time when you had to sing the song and people would ask you just anyway, it was just not what I wanted to do. So I was behind the scenes, even then making milkshakes, but I would 
put little messages and smiley faces on, on the cuffs on, on the bottom <laughs> for people. So I'm surprised I didn't get fired for that. And then ultimately one of my summer jobs when I was in college was I was hired by, I think the company was called Powers Protective Agency or Detective Agency. And they hired me to be a, an in-store person that would walk around and look for shoplifters. And they put me in a store in High Point and then they put me in a store in what used to be Carolina Mall in uh, Greensboro. I grew up in Greensboro, and that's obviously where I had my part-time jobs. So if you can imagine, I weighed probably 111. I was very skinny. I was 5'6", and I'm walking around with no gun <laughs> uh, in a store. I don't even know what I would have done if I saw a shoplifter, but... We did have one person when I was in the High Point store that ran out. I did run after them and then realized when I was in the parking lot, what the what am I doing out here? <laughs> they got away, but they did not get all the clothes. So that part was good. So I actually did help. And I guess I was uniquely qualified for this because as kids, my father owns a clothing store in Greensboro, Mitchell's Clothing. He's 95 years old and he still goes to work every day, six days a week, running his store. But as small kids, as soon as we were old enough to sit still, he would have us look, especially at Christmas time, we'd be stationed in the store to look for shoplifters. So training at an early age. <laughs> he did have training at an early age. What a great story. And that's not the direction I thought that story was going. I thought when I think of undercover shopper, I thought you were actually buying like, like a product and then seeing how the store treated you and then you know doing a review back to the manufacturer something like that I didn't I didn't know it was I didn't know it was actually shoplifting like undercover cop unfortunately it was the undercover cop wow and how amazing is it your dad is still running that business 95 I mean let's just pause there how what kind of lessons have you learned from your dad I mean that could be the whole podcast here but we, we can't skip over that that's amazing 95 an entrepreneur started his I mean Tell us a little bit about your dad and lessons learned and maybe, you know, maybe the lessons that you learned from your dad that gave you the confidence and skills to start your own business. I think it's, it's really kind of interesting. My dad had a, had a interesting life growing up. His father came from Beirut, Lebanon, was a merchant really when he got to Greensboro. Actually, he got to, he went to different places ultimately in North Carolina and met my grandmother who was also from Beirut, Lebanon. And they met, I want to say they met in Eden. North Carolina, and he was working for someone that was connected to my grandmother. I think it was her her brother-in-law. Anyway, they ended up deciding to get married, and they left the area, and, they, and he went around North Carolina and had businesses and ended up ultimately in Greensboro. So they were both immigrants, spoke Arabic. My grandfather spoke five different languages, but he was a merchant, and I think early on, my dad was the youngest of four. And he had to work in the store with his mother because we called them Jiddi, which is grandfather in Arabic, and Siti, which is grandmother in Arabic. So Jiddi started the store and then he would put Siti in the store with my dad, who was the youngest of four. And it's so funny because uh, Jiddi used to complain that my dad would read all the time and he was quote unquote lazy <laughs> and would never amount to anything. And actually... I think that that kind of spurred him on to show or prove that, you know, his father was wrong. He did work in the store and ultimately he is an amazing salesman and he loves to sell. And that's what keeps him going at 95. I mean, 
we had to pull him out of the store during the pandemic for a little bit when it, early on in the in 2020 because we didn't really know how he would get it and we were afraid that customers would come in and after about a month six weeks of that he looked at me one day and he said i gotta go back to work i'm dying here and so we had to let him go back in the store with all the protection that we could find and made him promise to wear a mask my brother has given up his career. My brother's a year younger than I am and is a professional musician. He's a, a drummer and has traveled around in, in many bands. And he actually kind of put his career on hold to come and stay in the store with my dad. So he's in my dad in the store with my dad and he goes and gets lunch and he's there just because dad's 95, he doesn't really need to be in there by himself. He still loves to sell. He loves to talk. I probably got some of that from him. I got a work ethic. I think everybody in my company is afraid I'm going to work to 95, which <laughs> I got that question today. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not going to work to 95. That could be a great podcast title, like how to work to 95. <laughs> <laughs> or why would you want to? <laughs> yeah, like why would you want to? Oh, I love it. So, so you have that experience growing up. You see your dad run the store and grew up in the Greensboro area then. And then how did you launch Horizon after an internship at UNC, right? So tell us a little bit about like how you got into film and, and history and how that eventually led to you starting your business. I'm sure there's quite the story there. Well, I always wanted to either be a doctor or be a film director. And early on, I figured out, well, it wasn't all that great with math. <laughs> so, uh, and science was okay. So I gravitated more toward film and decided that I needed to graduate from UNC Chapel Hill because they had a, a local film department. And I don't think I ever really wanted to leave the state. And at the time to leave the state to do film, you would actually have to go to New York. This is back in the seventies or go to LA. And I didn't want to really go there. So I, after I got out of school, I tried to work at various television stations and ultimately ended up with two part-time jobs, one at UNC TV and one at the local cable station. And both of those groups offered me a full-time job. And I took the one at the cable station because it was more production work. Loved it for about a year and a half. Long story behind all that, but the cable companies decided to start getting out of providing a full-time person to run their studios. So they got rid of everybody in the state except for me that was doing it. And I became a regional program director. But it, in my early 20s, I didn't realize that that probably was the writing on the wall for me to, you know, eventually they're going to get rid of my job too. So true to form, uh, they got rid of the vice president that was over all of that. And he gave me a letter one day, called me in his office, gave me a letter and said, this is the letter of recommendation. He said, they are letting me go that probably means you're going to lose a job. <laughs> I would highly recommend that you look for a job. And here is a letter of recommendation for that. And I still was hanging on to the sinking ship <laughs> uh, with a cable company. And I, I ultimately did lose my job there. But I had developed clients while I was there because in my early 20s, I thought if I can prove that this is a revenue making source for the, the cable company, that they may keep it which, you know, again, naive, didn't realize this was owned by a big conglomerate out of Florida. They could care less about the little minuscule amount of money that we were bringing in. But the good news was all those clients still wanted to work with me. So they actually said, hey, start your own company. Why don't you? 
And I went and talked to my parents and my parents being entrepreneurs, you know, running the business, they said, sure, you know, you should do that. So I did. That's how I started Horizon. Isn't it great when clients ask you to start something? It's such, such a you know, confidence builder. How did you feel when they made that recommendation? Was it, did you feel like, oh yeah, I was thinking about it or did it come out of left field when those first few clients mentioned that idea to you? How did you receive it? You know, it's funny. I don't think I ever really thought of having my own company, but I was young enough to realize I didn't have really a whole lot to lose. You know, I didn't have a family that I had to support and I didn't really, you know, have a big lifestyle I was living with other roommates. So it was worth it. And then my parents, you know, my dad had taken over the store that my dad runs today was started by my grandfather, my Jiddy. And Jiddy sold that business to my dad in the early 60s. I had seen the success. I mean, the minute that he bought that, he got rid of the women's and the children's clothes. He, he told his father, I'm going to buy this pop, but you, I'm going to run it the way I want to. And Jiddy said, okay. And um, he, dad told mom, get the car, pull up front. I'm getting rid of all this stuff. We're going to donate it to the church. So he didn't want to wait on women and he didn't want to wait on children. <laughs> so he got rid of, donated all of that. And he just went to men's high style. And a really cool story with dad was a lot of times the sales guys would come to town and they'd just hang out, look at his window, and then they'd come in. And he saw a guy hanging out at the window and he went out there and said, you know, hey, what can I help you? And the guy said, well, yeah, I've got this new thing that's out now that I think is going to be all the rage. And he goes, none of the other stores, he'd been up to the big stores and they weren't willing to try it. And he said, I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to put them in your store to sell. You advertise them. If you don't sell that, this product, he said, I'll take it back. So dad, dad, always the gambler said, sure. So he brought in what was bell bottoms. And he was the first in Greensboro to sell bell bottoms and he advertised it and they were hotcakes, you know, they went very fast. So the same guy also brought him Tom Jones shirts, which were the shiny shirts that, you know, if you watch Saturday Night Fever, you can see <laughs> some of the clothes. And, you know, that's, that was my dad always taking chances. So he was good with me, you know, trying it. And he actually helped. I had to have $10,000 to buy a camera, a tripod a recorder and some lights. And so he signed a note for me to get that. It was funny, the banker that he signed the note with, I found out years later that the banker and my dad were really good friends. And the banker told dad, this is a mistake. Everybody that does this, their kids don't pay it back. He goes, they end up stuck with it. And dad went, well, she'll be fine. And sure enough, I paid it off. So I'm sure dad was <laughs> happy to, you know, that he could tell the, the, the banker that, you know, I did it. But I think that my willingness to try things I got from dad, you know, to take chances, because when you're an entrepreneur, there are times you have to make leaps of faith. This business is a God thing because everything that I have to give him total credit, because I wasn't smart enough to run a business. I didn't take any business classes. We grew the client base. We started I say we because it was it it was me and whatever freelancer that I was working with to start with, but I was doing video depositions for attorneys. Those were the clients that said we were one of the first in North Carolina to do that because out it was being done in New York and in sort of Florida, and those attorneys would come up here to do depositions and they'd go to these court reporters and say, "Hey, I need somebody. To, I need you guys to record it." And they would go, "Well, we don't. We don't." 
So we had advertised uh, when I was with a cable company that we did that. And so I just went after those same folks and said, we're, you know, we do that. And so we were recording depositions for attorneys and that's how we started. And we were also a, a stringer service for sports. We would go record the Carolina football games and stick them on a bus down to Atlanta uh, and WTBS Atlanta and CNN would pick it up and, you know, put them on the air to show highlights of the game. Wow. Well, kind of like your dad, you picked a niche, like you, you said, Hey, gone are the kids clothes and the, and the women's clothes. And I'm going after like one market here. And then for you, when you started out, you had that niche, uh, that deposition work. And then how'd you go from there? We got a call from a group in Rocky Mount, Tar River Cable, a guy named, um, I think his name was Eddie Basden called us. He was running the cable company down there. And he said, we need a company to make our videos. We are doing something called local cable insertion. So this was back in the, I want to say early eighties, had to be like 82, 83, MTV, CNN, and USA. There were three networks or four networks that allowed the local cable operator to put local commercials on and it's called cable ad insertion. And so Eddie's group had tried it and they were terrible at it. So they had the equipment to put the videos on, but they were terrible at making the commercials. And so he needed a company that would come up and do the recording and edit the commercials and get them on the air. Well, we were based out of Chapel Hill and Rocky Mountain was about an hour and a half, I guess, away, because back then there was no 40 or anything to get to. You had to go all back roads. And so we went down there and made a pitch. And Eddie called us and said, we're not going to go with you guys because you're too far. We're going to go with this local guy who works on the side, does work on the side, doesn't own the gear. Cause back then video gear was expensive. Yeah. You had to get a, you had to get a bank load. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. Maybe 10 grand back in the early eighties. That was a lot of money. Right. And um, so this guy was going to use the television stations camera. And I remember turning to my part-time guy who's Martin Brown at the time. And I said, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. And sure enough, on like the first big shoot with a big car dealer down there in Rocky Mount, the guy didn't show up. So we got a phone call from Eddie saying, we, we want to hire you. And so we got to work with a guy named Glenn Holterhouse. And Glenn was great. He was the guy that worked, that actually would take the commercials we would put together and then build the reel to put them on the air. They started making money so fast that we started working ourselves out of the job. So within the year or so, um, Glenn had made enough money that he could start. He was buying his own gear for the cable company. And so we, we ultimately were working ourselves out of a job, but we learned a lot. And in 19, I guess, 83, I went back to the cable company that I had worked for who had a um, division up in the Greensboro area. And I negotiated a contract to do the cable advertising for Guilford County and then later in, uh, I think it was the next year, won the award for the Greensboro High Point and Burlington Markets. So not only were, was Horizon now doing corporate video work and other video work, but now we were also what's called a cable ad rep for that area. And we had exclusive rights to sell, to, uh, to, you know, to sell advertising on the channels, those four channels. And we did great. We did that up until we got out of it in 1991. So from the, I'd say 80, 83 to 91, we were doing cable ads up in the Greensboro market. So it was really cool because I could go stay at home with mom and dad, but I had an office up there with uh, with a full team, a sales team, and 
you know, an office manager and a controller and, and whatnot. And then I had a production office in Chapel Hill and they would actually do the, they would come up to Greensboro and record everything and then bring it back to Chapel Hill. We had to do program reels at that time to, to do the ad insertion. It's way more stuff to talk about then, but it was fun. It was, uh, again, a pioneer. We were the only the, I think we were the third or fourth in the state of North Carolina that was doing it at the time. So taking a chance. So after 1991, we had, you know, we got, I got out, I sold my interest, got out of the cable side of it, ended up focusing solely on doing productions for corporations. And that's, that was always my love, you know, doing that as opposed to doing cable commercials that we had a great fun doing that as well. As you look back at some of those that you've, uh, you've done over the last 40 years, what are, what are some of your favorite ones? Well, my team always makes fun of me <laughs> because I talk about that we were the company hired by a guy named Jim White, who worked for Jim Valvano and NC State to create his Room of Dreams video. And what was so cool about that is that he had a vision of wanting to bring recruits in to NC State and sit them in a command chair that looked like a Star Trek chair and have the room completely dark and have this big screen in front of them. Uh, that would open up and would be actually Jim Valvano talking about a dream. The poet Carl Sandburg said, nothing can happen without first a dream. And then he talks about the dream of NC State. And then we talk about the history behind, you know, Everett Case and cutting down the nets and everything. It was a recruitment video and it was designed sort of like a Disney experience. Every At, at certain points in the film, uh, lights would come on in the room and you would see the ten, at the time the 10 ACC rings that they'd won and then the two at the time two NCAA wins with the trophy in the net and the ball from the from the wins and at the very end it was a dream sequence where it would inspire that recruit sitting there it's like you are going to take the ball you are going to win the game it was one of my favorite things because we we spent like all night in uh, Reynolds Coliseum with Jim Vavano, who's larger than life. And from that, it got a lot of play and it got, I mean, Jim Vavano loved it. And, and they actually kept running it even after he had left to the point where finally they said, you got to take this down. <laughs> so what was cool is that in that video, we worked with a guy named John Santa for the to do this the music and John said I think we ought to use something new it's a brand new type of music that's just come out I think it's going to be around for a long time and we said okay great it was rap so the whole thing was done with rap music except for one part that Jim White wanted us to to do now if you can imagine your audience is 18 to like 20 year old right that they're trying to recruit and Jim White, who was a sweet, sweetheart of a man, he said, I want this part where we talk about Jim Valvano to be done to Paul Anka's Times of Our Lives. And I pushed back as much as I could, but he he basically demanded that. that. So his version has the, the Paul Anka Times of Our Lives, the one that we submitted for all the awards and won a lot of awards with. We didn't put that in. But that's one of my favorite one. Another one is Blue Cross Blue Shield had hired us to do uh, the breast cancer stories from breast cancer survivors around North Carolina. Now, I actually produced and worked, you know, worked on that. I was a producer director for that. But we have we have tons of, you know, we're doing a lot of virtual reality now and augmented reality. We started doing that division in 2016. 
The animation that this team does is amazing. So I have a lot of favorite projects now. Uh, years ago, I had to make the decision that I could no longer produce and direct. I had to pretty much manage a company. It was tough to, to get to that crossroads and realize that all you had ever wanted to do, you were going to have to set aside to, you know, to go forward and run a company that you were not schooled in to do. I wanted to ask, like, tell us about what you're doing now and the state of the company. So we've kind of heard the origin stories and give us a sense of like the size of the company and, and what you're doing now. Love to hear. You know, every iteration of Horizon, you know, we've grown a bit and at times um, shrunk a bit. I mean, when we got out of cable, I think we had 17 full-time employees and probably about five or six or seven or eight part-time employees back for the cable advertising and the video side. And then in 91, when we got out of that, we shrunk down to probably 14 because we didn't need that infrastructure of salespeople in Greensboro and whatnot. But over time, we are up to, when we're fully staffed, we we're at 20 or 21. Right now, we are down one position. So we're advertising and, and interviewing for that position. In fact, a, an interview has gone on earlier today on that position. And we use freelancers to supplement. I mean, obviously, we don't keep, you know, we don't keep makeup artists on staff or food stylist on staff, or um, uh, we supplement with what we call grips or other folks in the field. So, and I always like to ask this question too, of how are you providing for yourself? I mean, you've, you've launched a business that's providing for others now, your employees, the community, the staff. It's been 40 years. Congratulations. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> it's amazing. Two questions here. How, how are you celebrating 40 years and then how are you providing for yourself in the season life? Well, interestingly enough, we haven't really celebrated the 40 years because of the pandemic. We've, you know, we still haven't brought people together as much and still have people working remotely as they need to and bringing in folks slowly. I mean, there was a time where everything came to a crashing halt in March of 2020. We had a tremendous number of shoots booked, but with companies sending people home, you know, the shoots kind of got put on hold. People that were supposed to be flying in for four different shoots for us to record in our studio, that got put on hold. So a lot of things kind of stopped. And so we really haven't uh, launched or celebrated the 40 years like we plan to. That may, that may happen next year at 41, you know. For me, I think the biggest or the hardest thing for a founder to do, or at least for me, is to delegate. And to step back. And I've tried to do that. I've learned to do that more over the last 10 years than I ever have before. I still don't 100% get time, downtime. I have, you know, a 93-year-old mom and a 95-year-old dad. I'm back and forth to Greensboro as their need, as their needs, you know, require me to be there. And I still am, uh, you know, involved in uh, leading the sales efforts here at Horizon and also working with my executive leadership team to help build the, the their leadership as, as needed, but also to help figuring out my transition <laughs> out of Horizon. That's always a, a challenge for uh, an owner. And we've had new folks come on board. I have a, a new uh, operations manager, director of operations here, so training, training her and giving her sort of the background of what we've done in the past and then so that she can go through processes and make changes there. So we've, we've had some really positive things that have happened in spite of the pandemic, but the pandemic, navigating a pandemic 
was not on my play, playbook. <laughs> I've navigated a lot of ups and downs in economies, but, uh, but pandemic was not one that we, we had there. So having to come up with, you know, how do you protect your team? How do you serve your clients in a different way? How to do a lot of that. I realized for the first time during the pandemic for myself, that even though I'm doing a job that is not the creative part of Horizon, that uh, doing it at home in a void was not good for me because I get a lot of energy from just walking around and seeing what the creatives are working on here. That was uh, a big transition for me to realize, oh my goodness, I'm cut off from the team. I don't get to walk into the animation area and see the animations that they're working on. I mean, that fueled me in a way that I never really realized. You know, I'm a people person. I'm not a person that sits behind a desk and crunches numbers all day without having to do the walk or have lunches, you know, with my team. I love doing that. So, and, and, inter, you know, interacting with your clients, you know, you can only do so many zoom calls, right? <laughs> and yeah, well, thanks for doing this zoom call. So you know, to add another one to your plate with it, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll begin to wrap up here, but I'm curious to know, how do you, how do you handle stress? Any, any strategies that you've learned over the last 40 years? I think I could have handled stress better. I think I am a bit of a workaholic. I was single a long time. And I think that, you know, one of the things I found was I could go home and just have a complete down time. And that one of the things my husband and I were, we were talking about this, this morning, that uh, I think the, the having, you know, being married and having someone in your house for someone that needs the downtime, that's all, that can be a challenge, you know. Uh, especially because my husband, Joe, is retired. <laughs> so when I come home, it, it's neat to tell me all about the squirrels and uh, the neighbors and what he worked on that day. But for me, it's sort of like, that's my time to just kind of decompress. But I try to walk, you know, I try to walk the neighborhood. I think staying active, taking care of yourself, watch what you eat. Um, I think as as a woman, as you get older and you go through those changes, you find that you can look at food and gain weight. I think that's a challenge for me because I never had to diet before. So, but yeah, being active, I think I'll always want to be active. I don't think I would ever be, I think I'm a little bit like dad and that I'm going to want to keep moving even, even after I retire. I think taking care of yourself is, is hard for some entrepreneurs because you're so immersed in your business and always strategically trying to think of ways to help your team to help your clients and you do that before you, and you know, your family before you help yourself, especially women entrepreneurs. I think that that's hard. Yeah, I, I'm sure it is. Another thing that I didn't mention in the beginning, how you provided for me was when I just finished my health coach training at Duke, I reached out to you to say, Hey, I've got this like wheel of health thing. That's kind of fun to share with others. And I remember you invited me into your conference room and I did the wheel of health with uh, some of your team members as well. So that was a lot of fun. Well, we appreciated that. I don't, it's always helpful to bring in other alternative things, you know, besides the candy that we put out for our employees. <laughs> well, hey, was there, was there anything else that you wanted to share? I think this is a good place to just wrap up to say thank you. And then uh, let's grab coffee at Bean Traders and go into more of the stories of how your lessons learned and everything else. But was there anything else that you wanted to make sure to put a spotlight on? No, I appreciate you hounding me and hopefully you found something information, some good information here <laughs> that you can cobble together. Yes. Well, congratulations. 40 years is an achievement beyond what many entrepreneurs ever taste, right? I mean, the, the success rate of businesses is, is not high. 
hopefully the listeners too, they can sense like, oh, this is someone who's just willing to quickly learn, uh, get after it and make their own destiny happen, right? Um, and I'm sure it was not easy being uh, a woman entrepreneur in North Carolina, you know, fighting against some of the bigger players with it as well. So I find inspiration in that as well. It's uh, that could be another whole podcast about being a woman in a man's industry of production, video production, We're serving corporations in the 80s. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. Maybe that's a great place to stop. And we'll, we'll do that as a teaser, say part two with, with Donna about the, the female entrepreneur journey. Yep, it does. Thank you very much for your time and your questions. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want additional inspiration on being a more healthy and positive leader, sign up for my newsletter at justinthomascoaching.com. Every Wednesday, you'll receive an exclusive email called Healthy and Positive, which shares the strategies, products, and habits that I've found helpful in supporting a healthy and positive lifestyle. So until next time, access the newsletter and other resources at justinthomascoaching.com. Thank you.